Absolutely amazing day, isn't it? Are you with me, Michael? Absolutely amazing day. I love hearing the church just interact like that. You're not supposed to come and be by yourself. You're supposed to just reconnect. And so the opportunities we have in church are really, really, really important. Hey, a little girl was once asked, she was really excited about Easter. She was once asked, you know, what's the meaning of Easter? And she was only three, and she did this. Surprise! (laughs) And that's the meaning. Nobody expected it. Surprise to everyone, and it was a surprise to you when you got saved, if you've met Jesus Christ, and it was a surprise to me when I got saved too. This person that I'd heard about, I suddenly met this alive being, this alive supernatural being. And we have Easter eggs as a symbol of that kind of surprise and new life that comes. Would anyone like an Easter egg this morning? Someone else? Over here? Oh. (laughs) Now, one Easter, a pastor and a taxi driver both died, and they ended up in heaven, and uh, they were before St. Peter at the gate, and St. Peter says, come with me, both of you, and he takes the taxi driver first, and he takes him to this beautiful mansion, and it's got an amazing uh, uh, suites that are there, and it's part of a golf club, and it's got a a pool that's an Olympic-sized pool and everything, the taxi driver's going... Wow, thank you so much. And then the pastor, he takes the pastor to a less salubrious part of town and, 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 uh, and he goes into a bit of a place that's not really all that great and he's got a 14-inch TV and he says, this is for you, pastor. And the pastor says, hey, hey there must be a mistake, surely. He said, I'm the pastor. I've preached every, every week. I've been in church every day. And he said, yes, but he said, when you preach your Easter sermons, people slept. And when the taxi driver drove... Everybody prayed. (laughs) So no sleeping today is the rule, all right? You're not allowed to. (laughs) You know, someone else said, Easter means no matter what, God has the last word. And it's true in your life. It's true true in the circumstances that are ahead. God has the last word. You know, the truth is that if an atheist and a Christian were to conduct a debate about the resurrection, and both were very good at their trade, the Christian would win hands down. There's so much evidence recorded in history and through the Bible and outside sources as well that the only conclusion that can be drawn is that Jesus lived, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and then his body got missing And then that he resurrected and was seen by hundreds of people. You know, there's a movie just about to be released um, that's called The Case for Christ. Anyone heard of it? It's Lee Strobel's story. And Lee was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune in a day when investigative journalists were really after the truth. And the problem for Lee was that his wife became a Christian, and he was really troubled by it. And so the um, editor of the, of the paper said to Lee, I want you to go and research the resurrection. And I saw the clip uh, advertising this, and there's a piece where Lee's leaning over the edit- editor's desk, and, and the editor says, I want you to go and research the resurrection. And Lee says back to him, he says, but... If the resurrection's not true, the whole thing's a pack of cards, a house of cards. 
And he says to the editor, are you sure you want to give me that smoking gun? And the editor looks up at him and says, I don't think you'll get to pull the trigger. It's going to be a good movie. And in real life, that's exactly what happened. The more research Lee did into the resurrection, the more he came, became convinced against his will that Jesus Christ actually did rise from the dead. You know, it's good for us to really stretch our minds about the, the resurrection because we ne- and be really fresh with the facts because we never actually know when we're going to get Tory's situation. And someone's going to ask us a question. One of the things that not haunts me, but is very strong in my memory, is, is when I was back in my 20s, I went out to dinner with my, Sandra and I, with, with uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and a friend of theirs that I hardly knew. We're sitting out at dinner, and he looks me across the table, and he stares into my face, and he says, I want to, to um, talk with you. It's great that you're here, because I've been reading a book that talks about the fact that Jesus never died on the cross. He only swooned. And then he, after he got down from the cross, he came back to, to uh, he, he, um, he hadn't died, and he, and, he, and he came back to consciousness, and, and then he married Mary Magdalene, and he, they both went to India, and they had kids, and there's a place in India that's got a shrine for Jesus' actual burial. And I went... <laughs> and I wasn't able to tell him that the very first time any sort of swoon theory that Jesus never died on the cross only came out in the 7th century in the Quran. Seven centuries afterwards. There's nothing between zero and 700 years of any swooning of anyone on a cross. And I couldn't tell him that the next mention was not 10 or 11 or 12th century or 14th century, but 18 centuries after Jesus died was the next time the swoon theory was raised in the 19th century. I didn't have these things at my fingertips. You see, if the resurrection really did happen, then the implications for us are breathtaking. They're mind-blowing. It means it's true. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're all deceived and it's a waste of time. You can't have, if the resurrection, that's the lynch point of Christianity. Is it true or isn't it? And the Bible itself makes this claim. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Put your own word in there. Wasted. Pathetic. You're still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep or died in Christ, they're totally lost. They missed it. They lost the plot. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men and women. So everything hinges on the resurrection. And this morning I want to remind you of the facts because I think God wants to just make it real. Lift some of the cloud. Take some of the scale off our eyes. Open our heart up so that we see a little bit deeper, a little bit more reality of what Jesus Christ did. Or maybe you're sitting here and you've never, ever accepted Jesus. Well, this could be life-changing for you today. You know, the first thing is, Jesus was dead, dead. Could you say that with me? Dead, dead. When you were crucified, and the Romans crucified Thousands of people. Jesus wasn't unique. 
Sometimes it says there were hundreds on the skyline at one time. Because the Romans had this theory, if they show people how bad it will be if they commit any crime, there'll be less crime. You can figure out whether that theory works. But the Romans crucified thousands of people. History is absolutely silent of anyone ever not being dead dead at the end of a crucifixion. You can't go through crucifixion and be alive. Crucifixion is so gory and so barbaric, it kills everybody. History has no recorded case of anyone not being dead dead. And Jesus was dead dead. And to check it out... Because they, they got a stage where, where they um, broke the, uh, the legs of the two people on either side of them. Because um, the only time you can breathe on the cross, apparently, because your lungs are totally collapsed, is when you push yourself up on your feet and your, your lungs expand and you can draw a breath in. So they wanted to kill them quicker and they, they took a sort of a sledgehammer approach to their legs, broke the ability for them to do that, and they died, the two um, criminals on either side died really quickly. And they went to do it to Jesus and they said, no, he's already gone. He said, well, check it out. Get your spear, put it into his side, through his lungs and into his heart. That was the order. And so they did that. He was dead, dead when he came down. So the case for the resurrection... Hinges on three major things. Do you know what they are? Hey, by the way, Morris and Miriam, can you guys stand? These are my good friends, and, and I want... Oh, can we just welcome them here today? Some of you have been... Thanks, guys. You could answer my question, so that's why I pointed you out. But um, the, these guys are amongst us. Now, Morris um, has stepped down from pastoring Oxford Baptist, and he's, he and Miriam are coming here. Cool. Isn't that cool? But they will be in and out over the weeks and months and years because of his um, role over the Baptist churches. He's our regional leader within the area here. But I say that because I want you to embrace them and not just think, oh, I can't talk to them, they're a bit scary. <laughs> But why did Jesus, what does what the case for the resurrection hinge on? It hinges on an empty tomb. What else? The empty tomb, yep, body's gone. The eyewitnesses, the appearances of how many people actually saw Jesus alive after he'd, he'd uh, uh, been crucified on that cross. And then the third thing is the church. Let me try and explain it to you like this. The one thing that everybody agreed upon in history, the disciples, the Romans, the Jewish Sanhedrin, was that Jesus was not in the grave on Sunday. Everybody says that's exactly how it was. That's right. The body went missing. And the official reason that the Sanhedrin gave to the soldiers was the disciples came and stole it. Let me read it to you. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came through the, during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you guys out of trouble. Because in actual fact, if they lose a body, if they lose something that they're put in charge of, they get killed. Yeah. So the soldiers have got high motivation not to lose Jesus' body, right? Yeah. 
You won't be in trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, it's laughable to think that the disciples would steal the body from armed soldiers. The bravest one amongst them, just two days earlier, has been overcome by a servant girl just pointing him out and saying, you're one of them. They were completely dispirited. They were quaking in their, in their boots, and their dreams were absolutely shattered. These were people that had given up. They were running for the hills. And to think that somehow they rallied their, their strength together to devise a plan to somehow get in amongst a large armed group of soldiers, roll a heavy stone away, very noisy, and steal the body is completely laughable. Yet everybody agrees that the body's gone. And the idea that the women just went to the wrong tomb doesn't fit either because the Sanhedrin would have wanted to, they were trying to stop Christianity from having any further impact. And all they, if, the, if the women had gone to the wrong tomb and they were saying, no, look, he's, he's alive, he's, he's, he's resurrected because they went to the wrong tomb, the Sanhedrin would have got the body, gone to the right tomb, got the body of Jesus out and paraded him through Jerusalem to everyone saying, dead dead. He didn't resurrect. But they couldn't do that because no one knew where the body was except the disciples. They wanted Jesus dead. And so we come to this thing of appearances. He kept appearing for one, two, three, four, five, six weeks, less two days, 40 days. He kept turning up. Wouldn't you hate to be one of the soldiers that killed him? Wouldn't you hate to be one of the ones that mockingly and laughingly whipped him? You would check every street before going down it. You would stay home. You would be under the covers. Because he kept turning up in places. And not just Jesus, but people from all, all different stages of the Old Testament life. A lot of them came back to life. Walk the streets of Jerusalem, it says. Man, you would, you would be... Before going anywhere. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the women, a group of them. He appeared to Peter. He walked the Emmaus Road with two of the disciples. He appeared to the disciples as a total group. And then he did it again. And then he appeared to them beside the Sea of Galilee to seven disciples. And he appeared to all his disciples again in Galilee. And he appeared also to a group of 500 people who were gathered together. And he appeared to his brother James, who at that stage was anti-Christian. And, and James later became a, a disciple of Jesus and became a leader in the, in the um, new church that sprang up. And he appeared to the disciples again at a meal. And he appeared at the time of the ascension. And they watched him just go up into the clouds, along with anyone else that just happened to be in that spot. And later he appeared to Saul of Tarsus. Saul, who was totally bent on wiping out any remnant of Christianity, sees Jesus. And, he, and he, he, Saul totally turns around from becoming an enemy of the church to the, the staunchest um, supporter of the church of his day. So what do we make of these things? Are they myths? 
Well, they're not written in the style of myths. If you read uh, Greek myths and other myths of ancient days, and the fact that they include women in, in the story as the first witnesses, as well as um, later witnesses as well, is absolutely astonishing. It actually runs against the whole myth thing completely. Because in his day, women had absolutely no social standing, no ability to be able to speak in court, no ability for their, their words to be taken as any sort of evidence whatsoever. It strongly undermines myths. It just reveals that this is actually how it played out. This is the truth. It started with the women. And myths are stories that have grown up over long, long periods of time where things become stretched and whispers, Chinese whispers takes place as myths grow. But Paul quotes an early Christian creed when he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 8. And he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom, by the way, are still alive. What he's doing there is he's saying, you don't believe me? Go check it out. Go talk to these people. And scholars will tell you, uh, and then he says, and last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. So he appeared to Paul, Paul says. And Paul is, um, is quoting an early oral creed of the church. This was something that was known in all the fledgling churches that were just growing up. The, the, uh, the this creed of what Jesus had actually done. In other words, it was something that had been known for years, and they would repeat it in, in, in their services. And Paul is writing this. Most scholars agree. You see, it used to be 30 years ago that they would put a long time frame on, on when the Bible was written from when Jesus died. But the more evidence that's come to pass, particularly the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the 80s, I think, late 70s um, and 80s, one of those, um, have actually brought time frames right down. And they say, actually, this what Paul's writing, he's writing within 20 years of Jesus actually dying. Myths don't come about in 20 years because there's eyewitnesses. 20 years ago, Lady Di died in a, in a car crash with... I was thinking of his name last night. Dodi Faid. Now, if someone said there was an alien involved and we all saw it, we're old enough. We, we were there. We saw all the reports that were taking place about Lady Di's death. And that's what uh, Paul is saying. If you don't believe me, Go and talk to these people. They're still alive. They'll tell you exactly the same thing. Jesus resurrected. Yeah. Is it propaganda? Are his appearances just recorded in the Bible? Because if it's just in the Bible, it's kind of a circular argument, isn't it? The Bible's saying he rose from the dead, and the Bible has all the evidence. It's kind of circular. You can put that aside and say that's just propaganda. But you can't. Because he's written about by people who weren't Christians as well. 
One of the most well-known ones is Josephus, who was accepted as a Jewish person who was alive at that time, and he would write about what was going on, and he became known as a historian. As After his death, they realized that he was, he was just writing, and he's seen as a Jewish historian. And he said exactly this, Jesus was crucified, Jesus um, was buried, the grave was empty on the third day, no one could find the body, and then he, he resurrected and he was seen by lots of people. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That is such good news, such incredible news. Well, perhaps then it was mass hallucinations. Problem is, you can't hallucinate as a group. <laughs> if any of you have ever been naughty and have hallucinated as a result of drugs that you've been taking, you can do that. It would be an advantage if you could hallucinate as a group. Sandra and I could say, let's go to Fiji, all right? We'll save ourselves the money. Let's just hallucinate it. It'll be as real as can be. But you can't do it. You have to pay the fare and fly, like everybody else. And the writings of history, this is really important, are silent on any claim of fraud or that Jesus is a liar or Paul or any of the others are liars. See, if this was being examined in a court of law today and all the eyewitnesses were called and they were all given 15 minutes to tell their story, court would start at 9 a.m. on Monday and if it went 24 hours a day through to Tuesday and 24 hours a day through to Wednesday and 24 hours a day with witnesses telling their story, it would stop at, on Friday night. All the witnesses saying the same thing. We saw him. We saw him. He resurrected. Yeah. He is alive. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine the judge or the jury sitting back and five days of hearing people say the same story? <laughs> and then there's the church. And this fact that the church exists today and that the church started in the first place is incredibly compelling evidence. Because you have the disciples totally dispirited totally giving up, beaten down by just the words of a servant girl and running for their lives. And several days later, boldly proclaiming that Jesus is who he said he is. What changed it? What is the fact that can turn people from, it's over, it's a forgotten dream. We've wasted three and a third years of our lives to Jesus as the Messiah. Something had to happen. Something had to happen. There has to be a cause for the effect that took place. Do you get it? What could be powerful enough to cause Peter and the others to become who they became? What could be powerful enough for, for um, Peter to come back into Jerusalem, the city that he was so scared in, and, and to stand before a huge crowd and preach one of the best messages of his life and have 3,000 people say, we want to follow Jesus as well. 
And why did 3,000 people follow Jesus? Because they knew the story. All Peter did was explain again, the Messiah has come. They knew that Jesus had been crucified. They knew he did miracles and all these things, but that he was put to death, that he was buried in a tomb, that the body went missing, and that he resurrected and he was seen by all these people. They had seen it himself. There's something called six degrees of separation. I guarantee every one of those 3,000 people either saw Jesus personally or knew someone that they knew was credible who told them that they had seen Jesus personally. And so when Peter stands up and says, he is the Messiah, you crucified him, but it was the foreordained plan of God for the salvation of everyone. And if you want forgiveness and you want a a fresh start for yourself, you can have it. And they said, yes, please, baptize me. Something amazing happened. And the really cool thing is that it's not just the beginning of the church that took place, because the church was then like throwing a a match into flame, and it just went and took off. And within 300 years, it had taken over virtually the the then-known world. Rome had, had said, we can't fight this anymore. We're going to embrace it, and it's now our national religion. true. Only the truth could do it. Here's the most interesting, the the last most compelling thought in this. People will die for what they believe to be true. Suicide bombers do it today. They're promised heaven, they're promised riches, they're promised a lot of virgins in heaven to get married to. Let's just leave it at that. And and they believe it, and they're willing to blow themselves up and, and, and blow other people up at the same time. But people will not die for what they know to be a lie. Every one of the disciples chose a martyr's death. Peter said, I can't be crucified the same way Jesus was. If you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. So they did. Every one of them chose a martyr's death. John being the exception, he couldn't be killed. The emperor said, boil him in oil. So they boiled him up in oil. And they say that some of the people who were heating the oil were actually killed because it was that hot as they were heating it up. And they lowered John down into it, and he's preaching to the crowd. And they bring him up, and he's still preaching to the crowd. And they put him down again, and he's preaching. And eventually they got sick of it and exiled him to, exiled him to Patmos Island, where he's at least away from most people. Not bad being exiled to a Greek island, eh? <laughs> I hope to go there later this year and see where where John actually was. And so it was there that he wrote the revelation down. But my point is this. Something amazing happened that caused these dispirited people. And they would not die for a lie. They were the ones. It wasn't just belief. They actually knew whether it was truth or a lie. And every one of them was given the opportunity. Recant. I can't. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He did rise from the dead. All right, take your death. The evidence is compelling. And the church is full of people who've met this Jesus and met this Jesus and met this Jesus. And he's changed our lives and he's turned us around because he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Can I have the, the music team come up? But as we're, as we're finishing, I want you to watch a, a DVD that 
clip that we're going to show because this could be your day. You know, for me, I ran into this Jesus when I was 16 years of age and he absolutely turned my life around as he forgave me. And he gave me a, a purpose and a plan in life. Just like Tori's friend has now got that purpose and plan in life. And it could be the same for you too. Yeah. Just watch the screens. Cool. 